Welcome to Out of Bounds. I'm Addy Thomas. I'm David Adams. As always, head on over to our website, talkoutofbounds.com. There's a ton of ways for you to interact with us. We'd love to hear what's on your mind. That being said, let's get right into Quick Hits. Even though the Deflategate investigation is ongoing, it's been revealed that 11 of the 12 balls provided by the Patriots were deflated by two pounds. So let's get a little bit of context here because I don't think that a lot of people actually know the process by which the footballs are handled during the game and before the game. Each team provides the officials with 12 footballs. The home team provides 24 footballs, 12 are backups. So they have to present the head referee with these footballs two hours and 15 minutes before the game. The head referee will go through and check the pounds per square inch of pressure in each football. The NFL says that each football must be between 12 and a half and 13 and a half pounds per square inch to be used in the game. So if, if a football is a little under or a little overinflated, then the referee will adjusted as they see necessary. The footballs stay with the head referee until shortly before the game, and then they're handed out to each team's ball boys. From that point on, the footballs are constantly being circulated around. They're being passed from ball boy to referee to players and so on and so forth. So after the game, the NFL did find that 11 of the 12 footballs the Patriots were using were underinflated by about two pounds per square inch. None of the Colts' 12 footballs were underinflated. So one thing that we can get rid of right away, the weather did not have an impact on this because if the weather was at play, then it obviously would have affected the Colts footballs as well. The other thing I want to make sure we we get out of the way is this would not have impacted the outcome of that Colts-Patriots game Uh, because that game was so dominated by the Patriots in all phases of the game. It was more than just whether or not those balls were more catchable. It was a matter of getting dominated. But this could be an issue in closer games like the Ravens-Patriots game. Uh, The other thing that I I think we also need to, to sort of get out of the way is that a lot of quarterbacks have also come out saying that teams actually do kind of scuff up balls a little bit. They rough them up, up a little bit so that they're easier to handle. But every quarterback has sort of their preferred mode of it. Brad Johnson's talked about it. Rich Gannon's talked about it. Donovan McNabb has. Aaron Rodgers has talked about how he prefers his ball to be slightly overinflated. He has bigger hands, so he has he's able to have a better grip on it than other quarterbacks. One of the only quarterbacks that apparently hasn't had this issue, Matt Leinart said that Kurt Warner didn't because he preferred using gloves. So this there is a practice of adjusting the balls to what the quarterback's preference is. So there is an opportunity for some change to these balls. The question is, is it that significant? That's where I I just don't care that much about this, frankly. Like, I think this is kind of gamesmanship. I think this is breaking the rules in the same way that me going 43 miles an hour in a 40 mile per hour zone is breaking the rules. And I, I think that we're reading a lot more into this than we would be normally. If this was the Jags and the Titans in week three, and we were talking about underinflated footballs, we would be talking about it for 10 seconds before we got laughed off the air. Yeah, but to be fair, that's because they didn't win and get here, whereas the Patriots did. Absolutely. And a lot of this is also because we have two weeks before the Super Bowl. There's not much to talk about. I I wouldn't know that. (laughs) The Patriots have a big old history of cheating. I just think there's a lot more being read into this than there really is. I don't know if I agree with you. If If there is an established competitive advantage advantage by this practice and 11 of the 12 footballs it it it's a lot of footballs for it just to be 
you know, this is a one-time thing, this is an accident. It feels like a practice. Yes, maybe I'm reading into that, but this right now this is the court of public opinion, so we're speculating a little bit. But it does seem like this is a problem. I mean, and I, I compare this to the Saints a little bit and to Bounty Gate. Obviously, they're not targeting players and harming players, but at the same time, it is such a huge competitive advantage to make a ball that much easier to catch that I, I think it is a problem. Let's assume they're guilty. How do you think they should be punished? I think actually in the rule book, there is uh, a rule that says 25K or above for each person involved in this, for each ball, apparently. So there is already a very, very, there's a hefty fine already associated with this practice. I honestly think this is serious enough to warrant suspending some of the people, the key people involved in the same way that Bounty Gate suspended Sean Payton. I think it's that serious. I don't think it deserves a season-long suspension. I do think Belichick should get suspended for like up to half a season for something like this. Because and I, I, I think it, it's that serious. I think it's that's totally overblown. I think that's totally overblown. I, I, if they're really guilty, I say just fine them. But this is a huge hot topic issue, even though I don't think so. But that's because you're a Patriots fan. Oh, absolutely. 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 But we'd love to know what you think. This has been a huge issue. I've been hearing about it all day. I'm sure you have too. Feel free to chime in. Talkoutofbounds.com. Tell us what you think of Gate. Hall of Fame coach Mike Ditka has lived and breathed football, but apparently he wouldn't want his kids to play football. Fortunately, I'm confident that my kids won't be nearly athletic enough for me to have to worry about this <laughs> because I'm way too white. But let me put this out there. Would you encourage your kids slash loved ones to play football? Is it too dangerous? Do the risks outweigh the rewards? What do you think? Well, I would like my, you know, my kids and, and friends to play football. I have friends who who do they have their kids play football, and there is a lot of training nowadays for for better safety. For it, the whole heads up football program, I think is actually really good. And I, I still think it teaches stuff like discipline and teamwork in a way that a lot of other things don't. My ideal scenario for, for white people like me, <laughs> sit on the bench and make like $500,000 a year. Be paid much more <laughs> than pretty much anybody else, but have no real danger imposed on you. A lot of superheroes have dominated the box office the last several years, but Vince Wilfork acted like a real-life superhero on his way home after the Colts game. He saw a Jeep rolled over on its side, and he helped the driver out of the vehicle. Big Vince to the rescue. This is pretty lucky for the woman who uh, was stuck inside of the Jeep, because I think Will Fork is probably the only Patriot who's not a tiny white boy and was actually helpful in a situation like this. Just uh, for a little bit more context, Vince Wilfork hung around, he helped the woman get out of the Jeep, and he waited around with her until uh, the police showed up. Rumors have been swirling for most of this season that this would be Marshawn Lynch's last season in Seattle. Rumors have now started moving in the other direction, now saying that the Seahawks will now do their best to keep him. They have to keep Marshawn Lynch. I know that Russell Wilson threw the game-winning touchdown in overtime, but Wilson was also responsible for four interceptions on the day. Lynch has been nothing but rock solid. They can't pay Wilson like they're talking about paying him and not give their best shot at keeping Lynch. It would just be such a crappy message to send to the team. He is coming up on 10 years, and this is the place where certain running backs, their shelf life starts to show. So one, he's going for his retirement contract here. So he's definitely 
going to want to get paid some big money. And the Seahawks really do have to think about finding another running back for the future. Maybe it's worth thinking of getting him a short contract, but making sure to draft somebody, find some other talent to to run with, because they're not going to have Lynch for that much longer, especially with how much they run them. My point, though, is they have to prioritize Marshawn Lynch after the season he's had. Even if they don't reach a deal, they've got to make him a priority. So the Seahawks posted and then promptly deleted their tweet on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The post compared the Seahawks playoff win to the civil rights movement. The post said, we shall overcome. And it had a picture of Russell Wilson with, you know, with his eyes full of tears. It was right after the NFC Championship win. And it had a quote from Reverend King. They said, we apologize for poor judgment shown in a tweet sent earlier. We did not intend to compare football to the civil rights legacy of Dr. King. Boy, I had a tough morning today. It seems like a good time to talk about this. My car didn't start until the second time. It took me a whole 10 seconds to start my car. (laughs) And I only had enough time for two pancakes with my eggs. But you know what I did? I persevered and I went- I, I persevered. I persevered, okay? I persevered. I didn't have to go to work today, but I made it to the gym on time. <sighs> you know what? I, I guess that I'm also one with the Seahawks and Martin Luther King because I know what it's like to overcome struggles. I know what it's like to only be kind of full on your way to the gym. You could have had more pancakes, but you know what? I know how to have faith in the process and trust that I will get more pancakes soon. So I am also advocating for being one with the Seahawks and one with Dr. King. I shall overcome too. So the Seahawks' insane comeback with 209 left in regulation was incredibly shocking. Of course, some Seahawks fans made the mistake of leaving the game a little too quickly. They were heartbroken to find that they could not get back in the stadium to witness the comeback. Oh my god, how devastating would that be? You've you've paid for tickets to the conference championship and you don't get to see your team win. But shame on them for leaving early. You shouldn't ever leave a playoff game even when there's a remote chance of your team coming back and winning. You should never leave a playoff game early. My excuse with leaving Redskins games early is it's the Redskins. And and I don't have bad. to. I don't have to worry about them coming <laughs> back. Like I've left sometimes. I've left Redskins games early where they've had the lead at halftime <laughs> because I knew they were going to lose. Well, it's because they know how to snatch defeat from the claws of victory. But damn it, they know how to win off the field. <laughs> well, not everyone left early. While Russell Wilson cried and thanked God and had faith in his team for the win, and Michael Bennett also celebrated by <laughs> barring a police bike and riding and laps around <laughs> the field. One fan had a pretty unique celebration he made his way onto the field he pulled down his pants and he took a drink from a pink plastic flask you know this is kind of bad but when i first saw the article i saw that this guy that the fan was wearing green and i was just like god the eagles aren't even playing anymore why are the eagles fans still (laughs) acting like this and then of course i realized it was a seahawks fan what's your favorite thing about this you should definitely check out this picture it's going to be on our website it'll be along with all the uh links to the stories we're talking about today my favorite thing about this is that he hit a flask in his boxers for the entire game not a pocket of his pants but in his boxers (laughs) and then after the game he's just guzzling down that flask (laughs) My, my favorite thing is uh, someone in security was like, yeah, you know what? Go ahead. Go on yeah, the field. It seems like this is fine. We yeah. won't get in trouble for this. <laughs> 
Well, while many others celebrated the win, you know, one with uh, drinking out on the middle of the field, (laughs) others with slightly more reverent celebrations, and others with just pure joy and ecstasy, Doug Baldwin had a slightly different reaction. He completely went off in the media. He had a reaction almost similar to Richard Sherman last year in the NFC Championship. He had a profanity-laced rant where he called out the doubters who didn't believe in the Seahawks, who started the season 3-3 and and started this NFC Championship game down 16. Who is he talking about doubting them? Have they ever had a losing record in the entire season? Was there actually a game where they were not favored to win? There, like, who is their doubter? The, 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 there's at least one doubter. Well, okay, me. Me. Yeah. All right, sorry, Doug Baldwin. I guess I was wrong. You're the chip on his shoulder, yes, David. I, I am what motivates Doug Baldwin to win. <laughs> So a lot of players spend their spare time playing cell phone games or on social media. The Packers have instead become obsessed with a board game called the Settlers of Catan. Some players have even asked others to turn down music or to talk a little bit quiet, more quietly so they could discuss strategy and tactics for this game. That's how into it they've gotten. You know, the, the facial expressions on the Packers after they lost that NFC championship makes me think that they're going to want to forget about this season so badly, they're going to go and throw out all their copies of Settlers of Catan. they got to get a new board game for next season. <laughs> well, they're going to have to get, like, sorry or something. <laughs> Well, Gronk isn't always a party boy. He recently partnered with a few local companies for a surprise delivery of a free couch to a single mom and her kids. Do you remember when they had Gronk working at the Dunkin' Donuts in the morning and he was surprising people as they were coming through the drive-thru and, and they yeah. they taped all that? I think they should do the same thing except get him to work a late night drive-thru at like a Wendy's or a Taco Bell right after the bars have last call. So he just surprises all the drunk people and you get their reactions. I think that would be awesome. (laughs) So this year, Tom Brady mocked his lack of speed and mobility on social media. And his dad agrees with him. He even called him a pretty slow white guy. I can't decide if Tom should be offended here or not. Have you ever heard a a dad call his son just a tiny little white guy before? (laughs) Julian Edelman refuses to be the hookup for his friends and family for Super Bowl tickets. He wants to make sure he doesn't have to sacrifice time for his football routine to make arrangements for tickets and travel for other people. Considering how homeless Julian Edelman looks right now, I'd suspect he doesn't have to worry about getting tickets for his family because he was clearly raised by wolves. (laughs) A Green Bay Packers fan posted an anonymous thank you letter to Seahawks fans on Craigslist. It's worth checking out. We'll have it as a link on our website, talkoutofbounds.com. But the short version of the story is that this Packers fan's son, his dog died recently, and he'd been struggling with the loss. The Packers fans were somehow able to get the hookup to go to the NFC Championship game. They they flew out there. They had some friends host them and everything. They sat next to a family of Seahawks fans, and, you know, they kind of had a little bit of playful trash talk, but his, uh, his son, his 10-year-old son, hit it off with a 12-year-old girl from that Seattle family. After the Seahawks won, though, the girl was crying because she actually wanted the Packers to win. She'd actually found out that his son had lost his dog. Later that day, though, his son told him he was happy that the Seahawks won since the girl's cat had died the day before, and he wanted her to have something that made her feel better. Come to Seattle. 
The games are so great that little kids will cry about your problems. So Eddie Lacy has had the support of many Packers fans and his teammates, but some texts between him and his mom before and after the playoff loss to the Seahawks are absolutely priceless. Before the game, his mom texted him, Hi, sweetie, remember how you used to love to play in the mud and the rain? I give you permission to play hard, have fun, and get dirty in Jesus' name. Be safe, and mommy loves you. After the loss, she said, proud of you. It's crawfish time. (laughs) Whenever I need encouragement, I'm going to remember this text, and I'm going to know that somewhere out there, in some way, shape, or form, it is crawfish time. Well, if you want to enjoy crawfish time and check out some (laughs) other links while you're enjoying your crawfish, uh, you can always check out the rest of the other links that we have for all the stories we talked about today and a couple other extras, some videos that we talked about. All of that is on our website, talkoutofbounds.com. Again, you can go to our website, talkoutofbounds.com. Be sure you keep an eye out for our next episode. We'll be previewing Super Bowl 49, and we'll have a lot on that. 